Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Don, and Dude. Let's go to the movies. Let's go see the stars. It's Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me. Andy, how are you doing on this fine, fine day? Doing pretty well, buddy. I was thinking you guys can just call me uh, Mr. Pink on this episode. Hmm. That works for you. I, I I, I don't know about pink. I think maybe Mr. Purple would be would be better. <laughs> Some people prefer purple, but I like pink. <laughs> Don, what's up? I'm good. I'm well. I uh, I got my popcorn and I'm I'm ready to go to the movies. Nice. All right. So this is the Album Nerds podcast. We love albums and the album format, and uh, having a little chat today about some records that have songs that were featured in a movie and it's just a, a memorable moment for not only the song but uh, for the movie as well. So we've got a great show for you today. We're going to go over our listening week, just uh, talk a little bit about the uh, albums we considered. Then we're going to go over our actual album selections. And then we're going to answer a question loosely related to today's topic. And then we're going to spin the wheel of musical destiny to find out what we're going to talk about on the next show. But this week, it's all about the movies. That's what I'm talking about! Well, sometimes songs are as important to a film as the images. Movies like Forrest Gump and Apocalypse Now featured songs that were not written specifically for those films, but they created memorable and iconic scenes. Today, each of us will present an album which includes a song that was significantly featured in a film. So yeah, it's an interesting thought because movies and music can sometimes be such a perfect marriage and you have these iconic scenes that wouldn't be as iconic without the songs behind them. So uh, how'd you guys do? What did you find? Oh, I found a bunch. I threw out a couple there. Uh, start back in the 60s. Steppenwolf, Born to be Wild, oh, nice. Easy Rider, sure. Classic. Going forward into the 80s, uh, Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes from Say Anything. Off the of course. Album, so. Yeah, anytime in any commercial TV show, movie where there's someone holding, whether it's a boombox or any kind of music apparatus above their head, all you can think yeah. about is that scene. Yeah, classic. These days, people just hold up a Bluetooth speaker. Yeah. <laughs> or just their phone. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the one that was most personal to me was from uh, Fight Club. You guys remember the the last scene of that movie of with the, uh, the Pixies? Where's my mind? Is all the buildings, the financial institutes explode? Great moments in cinema there. And then uh, one other I'll throw out there too. It was a great album. Iggy Pop's Lust for Life from the, the late seventies makes an appearance in. Uh, Train spotting from the, yeah. the mid nineties. Yeah. So that was a moment where that song reignited and got in front of people that hadn't heard it before, me included. We rushed out and bought bought his record. Yeah. That's the part of these movies yeah. is they kind of bring some of these songs back to life after they've been kind of out of the spotlight for a while. So Yeah, and they mentioned Iggy Pop a few times in the in the script. Hmm. Uh well, uh, one of my favorite scenes from uh <laughs> from the, the 1980s like teen movie genre was um, Phoebe Cates in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You know, she famously yeah. walks out of the swimming pool uh, and the music playing is the cars moving in stereo, uh, which uh, which is on their, their self-titled debut uh, from 1978, which is actually a, a very good album and I think I'll get to it at some point. Uh, I also thought about uh, Apocalypse Now. You know, The Doors, The End uh, is, you know, plays uh, a big yeah. part uh, in that film. Of course, that's on their self-titled debut. And also, 
also uh, the film Donnie Darko is a great soundtrack for somebody with my musical tastes. Well, that's your nickname, right? <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, but uh, Tears for Fears, Head Over Heels is, is featured in a cool scene in that one. So, of course, that was from 1985 songs from the big chair. Yeah, that's a great soundtrack. Donnie Likey. First of all, I knew what I was going to do almost immediately, so I didn't do a whole lot of exploring but things that came to mind were simple minds don't you forget about me but that's not on their proper album it was added later but it's it's from the soundtrack to breakfast club so that was out Mm. the beatles uh please please me with the song twist and shout because of that scene from ferris bueller's day off where he's sinking it during the parade that was a big moment when I was a kid. You could have done Wayne Newton as well. I'd prefer not to. Um, and <laughs> Survivor, Eye of the Tiger, the album Eye of the Tiger, just because, you know, Rocky. Yeah. But my 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 pick is, I think, better than any of the other options I just mentioned. So why don't we get to it? You choo-choo choose me? You ever listen to Kay Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s? It's my personal favorite. Joe Egan and Jerry Rafferty were the duo knows. <laughs> Steelers wheel. All right, well, you couldn't tell already. We are indeed talking about Steelers wheel and their self-titled debut album from 1972, Steelers wheel. So Steelers wheel is a four-piece rock band from Paisley, Scotland. Formed by Joe Egan and Jerry Rafferty, primary creative forces behind the group. They put out three albums in the early to mid-70s. And their big single was uh, Stuck in the Middle with You, which was later used by Quentin Tarantino in his debut film, Reservoir Dogs. Let's play a little bit of that it's so now. hard to keep this smile from my face I wish my three words were Dylan-esque pop bubblegum. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, everyone thought that was a Bob Dylan song when when people became aware of it because of Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> yeah, apparently it was an intentional imitation of the style because he was so popular at the time. Three words I used to describe this album are best in stereo. For me, that song is going to uh, forever be tied to that, that terrible torture sequence from Reservoir yes. Dogs, which is hard to watch even knowing how it's going to transpire. But it works. It works works very well for some reason. <laughs> Just makes it very, the whole thing very unsettling. Do we need to s- describe the scene? Well, uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it, just do it briefly. Mr. Blonde, one of the heist crew members it's a heist movie reservoir dogs and are uh they're the cops catch them and and he takes a cop hostage and is torturing him to find out who the rat is in the crew but it's so disturbing because he's like kind of dancing to the song he's going he's really, and he's, he's really enjoying it and he's pouring <laughs> pouring gasoline on the guy yes yes that is that is the disturbing part. i mean the whole the idea is disturbing but the fact that mr blonde is taking such pleasure is yes yes <laughs> Anyway, getting back to the record itself, it's a pretty moody collection of psychedelic-infused folk rock, and they try to imitate Dylan's singing style, but the album, I think, lent, or sounds a lot more like the Beatles than it does yeah. uh, Dylan, in my opinion. Kind of Klaatu. Yeah. Yes, comes Klaatu. Klaatu. 
There's a handful of really great tracks on here, though, that I really came to enjoy. I think we'll get to a couple of them in a moment. But yeah, overall, I was pretty surprised by the the quality of the songwriting. You know, it's not an A-plus album for me, but I think overall it delivers some pretty interesting moments. Why don't we play the opening cut? This is one of those tracks that I found myself enjoying quite a bit. It's called Late Again. I really like the um, the harmonies. You know, they're kind of similar to like Simon and Garfunkel. It, they're like so they're so synced up or something that it kind of feels like one voice uh, at times. I, I think they do a, a great job on that song uh, and, and others. Uh, also, like kind of the the melancholy feel to that song, which opens up the album. The the three words I, I chose to describe the album: derivative, but well executed. Right. So, yeah, as Andy already mentioned, there's Dylan, there's Beatles. I just mentioned Simon and Garfunkel, but it never feels like a, you know, like a complete ripoff, you know, so it's still, I mean, they kind of have their, their own sound and it's, uh, it's a, it's a pleasant sound. You know, again, I, I gravitate towards the, the melancholy and there's uh, some of that on this record. Um, so, you know, overall, I, I, I think it's solid. I can't really identify any weak tracks, although, I mean, I, I listened to this record a lot this week and it's hard to identify, you know, other than like the, the single, I mean, there aren't like a lot of tracks that stuck with me, you know, so like uh, things don't really stand out, but uh, overall, you know, I, I think the album is good. Not really ambitious, but you know, definitely a, you know, just a, yeah. a, a nice listen. I mean, one of the final track is one that stuck with me just because it's the title is odd. You put something better inside me mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know it's about like becoming a better man or whatever. At least that's my interpretation. But just the yeah. actual words were hard to like not <laughs> mm-hmm. make dirty jokes in my mind, yeah. and that was distracting. Right from maybe maybe in Scotland that's a totally fine way. The way it's presung is like totally deadpan serious too. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think that duet and that song was one of the stronger ones, personally. Yeah, good one. But yeah, no, I kind of agree with you, Don. There was just a lot, especially on the B-side. The rest of the B-side was just kind of like solid, good, but not super memorable. I, yeah. Why don't we play one of the songs out the A-side that I do think is sticks with you a little bit. It's called I Get Back. Too late to go to work, wash my dog in I don't try hard, but I get back. I like that that's got a little grit to it, a little more of a classic rock, hard rock mm-hmm. sort of sound. Um, I think it's it's well executed. It's a it's definitely I think it's the best song on the album. Stuck in the Middle with You is obviously the most memorable, but this one actually I think sounds like this band when they're not necessarily imitating Bob Dylan voice, you know, which makes that song memorable, but also it's a little distracting from who they are. The three words I used to describe this album are so ears on. Gross. Definitely worth a listen, although severed ears will haunt me forever, as as Andy alluded to earlier. But it's one of those things where I didn't even consider them as a band that I would ever listen to. Like yeah, I, uh, It was just some that. 70s song that was fun and from Reservoir Dogs. Actually listening to this record, it's worth sewing your ear back on to hear it because it's it's good stuff i mean it's not like you know it's not a world changing type of record but it's it's very enjoyable and it's certainly more than just that single there are really nice moments and it's a good listen 
And then, of course, you know, you got Jerry Rafferty, who I, again, familiar with him, but had no idea that he was in a band. Although, I, you know, it's mentioned in Reservoir Dogs, but I'd forgotten. Yeah, me too. You know, Jerry Rafferty didn't, it didn't ring any bells at the time. Rafferty was a candidate for the uh, Yacht Rock show. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the saxophone show. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I have that album, but I didn't make the Steelers wheel. Uh, connection. Yeah, I mean, they both seem like they're pretty solid songwriters, and there's a couple moments on here where they really shine. I really like the track in the middle of the record called Outside Looking In, just kind of like a psychedelic folk rock track, which I think works pretty well. So yeah, some definitely some interesting moments. If you haven't heard the full record, it's not too long. Not going to put you out too much. Definitely some interesting little gems from the period, I think. Um, so yeah, Steeler's Wheel, Steeler's Wheel. SK Billy's super sounds of the 70s weekend just keeps on trucking. <laughs> I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. If you're enjoying the show, and we hope you are, do us a solid and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Maybe we made you laugh or you discovered an album you enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find us. Are you crying? Oh no, baby, please! You are far too fine to look so sad. It breaks my heart to see you this way. You tell Special K what you can do <laughs> to make you feel better. <laughs> All right, so that's a, a clip uh, from 1998, uh, Can't Hardly Wait, a, a film by Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan, basically a, you know, a teen movie from that era. So the, the title, Can't Hardly Wait, actually comes from a, a song by the band The Replacements. So my pick uh, is their album, Please to Meet Me, from June 1987. It's the fifth studio album by uh, the rock band formed in Minneapolis in 1979. The core lineup of the band uh, was guitarist and vocalist Paul Westerberg, guitarist Bob Stinson, who actually doesn't appear on this album. He had gotten kicked out or left just before. Bass guitarist Tommy Stinson and drummer Chris Mars. Uh, so here's that track, Can't Hardly Wait. Brian Adams could have really oh. nailed that song. <laughs> he really could <laughs> Uh, so that song actually plays over the, the closing credits. So I wouldn't say it's like the most uh, memorable scene from the, the film. But of course, they did take the, the title from it. That song features guitar actually from Alex Chilton, who was in the, the Box Tops and Big Star. Of course, there's a, a song on the album that's a, a tribute to, to Alex Chilton. Uh, in fact, I, I think the, the lyrics to the song kind of are uh, inspired by the Box Top song, The, the Letter. Give me a ticket for an right. airplane. You know, uh, great song. Uh, actually includes horns and strings, which is somewhat atypical for the replacements. You know, they've always been kind of like this this raw guitar group. But uh, but on this album, they were you know branching out more. The the three words I chose to describe the album are bubbling from underground. So the the replacements never really made it to the to the mainstream. You know, this is probably the album that that got them closest. I mean, it's a really hooky album. You know, even though it's raw, it's got some some polish to it. You know, and I'm not sure why it didn't quite work out for them. I, I guess they just never really played the game. You know, they were on Saturday Night Live and I guess got completely drunk and you know basically blew it. Um, it just seems like if if you read their their biography, just like you know every time they you know kind of could have made. It. They just sort of <laughs> sabotage <laughs> themselves. So they were truly not ready for primetime players. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, well, let's let's hear uh, uh, another song from this album. Uh, Never mind. Oh, 
just as Don has a particular weakness for a particular 80s style, as do I. And this evokes some definite Springsteen vibes, mm. which is, I think, why <laughs> I like this song <laughs> so oh, much. Yeah. <laughs> and that, yeah, that's, you know, the, the raspy voice, the Brian Adams, the Bruce Springsteen thing. Like, I, I love that period. And this album has those elements um, all mixed together with, with, kind of indie rock of the time. I want to hear Springsteen do that song. Yeah, I know. You could rip it up. So Nevermind was written by Paul Westerberg. It blends elements of punk and alt-rock and a little bit of folk, I guess. And they have kind of a signature style. The three words I use to describe this album are alt-rock blueprint. This was much better than I expected. I've never really listened to the replacements, but it covers all the sounds I like in alt-rock and even pop-rock. But I, I was only aware of their existence because of uh, Paul Westerberg's contributions to the singles soundtrack in 1992, like Dyslexic Heart. Na, 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 na. Yeah. <laughs> this was an enjoyable album, and it definitely felt like the precursor to what started happening on college rock radio and, and uh, you know, your 120 minutes and all of that stuff. These were the godfathers to some degree of the poppier side of that, as opposed to uh, like Husker Du and bands like that being on the harder, you know, the sort of almost, almost punk, almost metal kind of side of it. So uh, I did enjoy this record and it was fun to listen to. And uh, it's a nice collection of songs and it's got enough moments for me to grapple onto with that that raspy voice that uh carried me through yeah i, I think one of my you know favorite aspects of the the replacements are, are paul westerberg's lyrics yeah that song that i mentioned alex chilton he says cerebral rape and pillage in a village of his choice invisible man who can sing in a visible voice i don't know <laughs> i mean cerebral rape and pillage sounds I, you know maybe we wouldn't do that today but just you know kind of clever you know imagery there and then that, that one song valentine if you were a pill i'd take a handful at my will and i'd knock you back with something sweet and strong mm-hmm. you know just eh, kind of you know sort of rough poetry or, or something well let's uh, let's hear more uh, here is the ledge That was a single off the record. Um, made a video for it. Got pulled from MTV just because of the kind of explicit content described in the, the song and in the video. But that one that really jumped out to me has been pretty catchy from my first couple of listens. But there were quite a few tracks on here I ended up having a taking to after uh, a few times through the record. Three words I used to describe this album are post-punk coming of age. Yeah, I mean, kind of as Dude said, there were definitely lots of other bands I heard, like The Clash and Springsteen and ZZ Top mm-hmm. even a little bit, listening to this. Um, but it felt like, for me, the record always came back to kind of like that jangly sort of pop sound. I was surprised these guys are from Minnesota. I feel a lot of like UK sounds kind of mm-hmm. bubbling up here. Well, it's pretty close to Canada, which is the North American UK. So <laughs> <laughs> tangentially related, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed the horns quite a bit. I thought that part worked well. You know, it was surprising to hear in this kind of music, but I think it worked pretty well. Another thing I mentioned that really stood out to me there's a handful of tracks that are a little bit more stripped down and intimate, uh, Nightclub Jitters, and towards the end of the record, Skyway. Really the uh, the vocalist kind of take over on those tracks. I thought those worked really well. I was surprised by how much emotion mm-hmm. he got out of his voice after, you know, being kind of gruff and abrasive on some other tracks there. He does have a sense 
positive side that I think is pretty compelling. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think this record has kind of a a sheen to it, as seems to happen in the eighties. I'd be curious to hear their previous two records and and what if they had a little bit more, you know, rough around the edges. Maybe if that would be a little bit more interesting. It sounds like they're maybe like trying to you know cross over and become that that big hit. You know, having some more palatable moments on here. Is that accurate, Tom? Yeah, I, I don't think it was. Well, it's definitely. I guess Paul Westerberg is the one who really was wanted to do different things, but I think he was not somebody that really wanted to to have hits. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, so like I don't think it was intentional to you know to to cross over. But I, I think the other guys in the band just wanted to keep making kind of just straight up you know kind of edgy rock, and and he you know wanted to incorporate elements of of jazz and folk and stuff like that. You know, when when I think about what what happened with with alternative rock, you know, when it really exploded in in the early '90s, I usually I look to the Replacements and Pixies as being like two bands that really I think paved the way, you know, for for what happened, but but kind of got left behind. Okay, so with their 1987 album, "Pleased to Meet Me," that was the Replacements. Yeah, well, you're the one, Amanda. He's gonna be embarrassed. <laughs> Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Well, it's time for deep questions with Don. So, well, that that Steelers Wheel song stuck in the middle, you know, I... I'll never hear it again without imagining that that scene from Reservoir Dogs. Uh, and there's been a lot of songs over the years where, you know, my associations with it are associated with with something in the mass media. And it's it's often advertising. So uh, are there are there any songs that you guys now associate with uh, products? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> advertising has gotten into my brain. Uh, there's a couple that just came right to mind as being like, I'm sure I've seen them in a variety of different commercials. Lenny Kravitz. Fly away. Oh, so many airline commercials uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. associated with that. Oh, it's such a bland yeah. song. And then, but it's got a great message for Delta. Yeah, for airlines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other one also has been bastardized for me, unfortunately. Uh, Tina Turner, simply the oh. best. I've seen like an yeah. and quite a few variety of different commercials, like grocery stores and, and whatnot, banks. Yeah. Yeah. Just unfortunately, really broad general messages that seem to resonate with a variety of different <laughs> products and services. Hopefully they're getting paid well for them. Yeah. I mean, there's there's quite a few examples. I mean, Revolution by the Beatles being used for Nike ads. Mm. And at the time, I thought it was it made the Beatles cooler because Nike was cool and I was a teenager and dumb. But thanks to Michael Jackson owning the rights to the Beatles catalog right. and using it for commercials. Although apparently there was a lawsuit, Yoko Ono approved it, and the other guys, the remaining members, there was a lawsuit where they were like, "This is you know." There was an out of court settlement. So yeah. So the, when Don mentioned the letter by the box tops, it reminded me of how that song is ruined because whenever I think of it, there was a Wheel of Fortune commercial and it was, buy me a ticket for an airplane, I'm going to play the Wheel of Fortune game. (laughs) So whenever I hear that song, that's all that gets stuck in my head. That's like another level when they like rewrite the song, like for the commercial. Oh, that's so gorgeous. Yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> How about you, Don? Well, there's actually two songs from the Bachman Turner Overdrive that have been overdone many times. Uh, so, so hey, taking oh. care of business, I feel like has been. In, oh, I don't know if it's car dealerships <laughs> or whatever. And then the other, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah. I feel like those have both been, you yeah. know, in, in so many ads over the years. Uh, one recent one, you know, the song "It's Magic," or I think it's just called "Magic" by the Pilot. Oh. Oh, oh, it's magic. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Well, they're one of the prescription drugs. Is it Ozempic or something? It's like, oh, oh, Ozempic. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> okay. Well, what what other songs have been ruined by commercials? Uh, let us know. Hit us on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and threads. Also on Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord. I think we'll go with a little Bohemian Rhapsody, gentlemen. Good call. Yes, the, to me, fairly obvious choice here is Queen, A Night at the Opera from November 21st, 1975. Queen, well-known band, many hits, iconic singer. Uh, we've got Freddie Mercury, Brian May, John Deacon, and Roger Taylor. The album features Bohemian Rhapsody, which is probably one of their most well-known songs and was in uh, a famous scene in Wayne's World, 1992 hilarious comedy that I saw in the theater at the time and was introduced to this song for real. I mean, I had heard it before, but it there was a the whole new excitement around it. So why don't we listen to a little bit of Bohemian Rhapsody. So for me, every time I listen to this song, I am waiting for the Wayne's World moment still. After all this time. <laughs> the headbanging yeah. yeah. So me and my friends saw the movie and right after went and picked up the cassette single of <laughs> this song that had recently been re-released. Had a little sticker on it that said it was featured in Wayne's World and drove around and just listened to it on a loop and did the headbanging thing <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> It is fun. So, A Night at the Opera, uh, as I mentioned, was released in 1975. The album title was inspired by the Marx Brothers film of the same name. Uh, apparently, they're watching the movie during the sessions, and it just seemed like a good description of the music they're putting together. The album has a really wide range of musical styles, rock, opera, ballads, vaudeville, tinges of metal guitar in its infancy. Each member of the band contributed to the songwriting and uh, the vocal harmonies, the complexity of, of the uh, vocal layering and all of that stuff. I mean, they were, for this song in particular, they had to bounce the tracks across eight generations of 24-track tape requiring nearly 200 tracks for overdubs. Wow, that's amazing. 200 tracks and then 75? <laughs> Wow. Yeah, today's technology would be much easier. Uh, it took three weeks to complete the song, with some sections featuring 180 separate overdubs. Wow. It's just like his vision, I guess this song had started as a vision to him in the, in the late 60s to Freddie Mercury, and it came from a, an idea for a kind of a country song. It, was, it incorporated elements of this song he had called the Cowboy Song, which contained the lyrics, Mama Just Killed a Man. So I've always, in listening to this, it always felt like a bunch of different songs strung together and then the operatic parts with the basmila and all that stuff, which were all references to, to various, um, you know, some of it to the devil, some of it to other works of, of literature and things. 
But uh, to describe this album in three words, I went with Regal Rock Symphony. The diversity mirrors an operatic voyage, shifting the moods and genres with a lot of finesse, right? Freddie Mercury's vocals shine. They're emotive, captivating. And this is my first time really digging into this album. I've listened to it before. But I've never really given it a fair shake because it's always been all about Bohemian Rhapsody to me. But I came to enjoy the quirkier moments. And I was just waiting, always waiting for the rock parts. I wanted more of the harder rock sounds that some of their other albums contained. But uh, I grew to really love it in my time uh, preparing for the show. So why don't we jump in and listen to one of the rockier tracks? It's the opening track Death on Two Legs. song came on i was kind of blown away by how i mean it's metally guitar there at times for Mm -hmm. sure and just so inventive and so creative speculated to be the first or among the first diss tracks (laughs) uh it's about the band's uh, (laughs) former manager norman sheffield (laughs) three words that he described this album if you're gonna queen queen in this i think this is a a great place to uh, jump into the band. They are really operating at full queen level here. Just like so inventive and so diverse and so seemingly random. But obviously these these tracks take a lot of effort to uh, compose and record. I think the best moments are when they are doing kind of those sort of zany, surprising things, uh, which happens a lot. Man, if the whole record was like Death on Two Legs, this probably would be like one of my favorite albums of all time, I think. Uh, <laughs> but there's, there's a lot of other moments on here that are not as compelling to me um but the ballads unfortunately i think kind of lose me on a little bit but you know there's a lot to be said for the other moments that i think work really well you know like those goofy show tune-esque tracks like lazy on a sunday afternoon and seaside rendezvous i found like those would be really mm-hmm. fun and you just kind of like like clatu sort of but yeah. i think a better version of that Asphincter says what what excuse me a bacon powder <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then you have Bohemian Rhapsody to like kind of wrap things up at the end, which is just like such a breath of fresh air, you know, even after all these other zany moments, it still just never gets old. And for me as well, it's also always going to be tied to that beginning of Wayne's World too, which is so iconic and great on its own. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty great record. Right? Not perfect, but it's a pretty compelling listen. You can't definitely don't get bored listening to this thing. All right, so why don't we uh, check out another track? This one is very interesting in terms of its subject matter. A little bit of Thirty Nine. So that song really stood out to me uh, for some reason. Uh, well, first of all, the, the vocals are actually provided by uh, Brian May on that song. He uh, also composed the, the song. Uh, it's got this sort of weird kind of folky, almost feels like a 60s kind of record, but it's actually, it's like a sci-fi song. Yeah, it's like sci-fi skiffle. It sounds like skiffle yeah. from the English traditional music there. Yeah. Yeah. Know. So the song's about space explorers who embark on a year-long voyage, but when they return, they realize Realize a hundred years have passed because of time. Is it dilation uh, effect? Yes. Which is that? What also happens in um, Planet of the Apes? Remember him going? You, yeah. You, everybody you know is dead. Yeah. God <laughs> damn you all to hell! 
But anyway, so um, just a you know really really interesting song. Deacon plays uh, double bass uh, on that. The three words I chose to describe the album are just uh, a night with Queen. You know, I, I think. You know, this album kind of gives you everything that, that Queen has to offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's ambitious, right? It's it's gaudy, you know. And sometimes I think that's what keeps me away from from Queen Records is just that, um, you know, over the, the top. Theatricality stuff. Yeah. yeah. But it's, you know, it has some silly moments, but it's very catchy. It's it's often beautiful, but it's also just it rocks as well. You know, I mean, it's I mean, there's some like real metal on on this album. Now, Don, you, you didn't mention Brian May's educational background and why he's interested. Oh, that's in- right. He's like a physicist or. Yeah. Was, was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard about that dilation effect before yeah. and I still don't get it. <laughs> well, he does. He, yeah. We're not, <laughs> we don't need to. So speaking of May, I love his guitar sound, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, you know, I, I really like guitarists that you just recognize, you know, when you, when you hear him, you're like, oh, that's, that's Brian May. And, and I don't know if it's the guitar itself. So, you know, he famously plays the Red Special, which is a guitar that, that he and his dad built together. So that might be the unique sound there. Also, John Deacon created this amp that he was using that they call the Deakey amp. Um, he likes to play with his dicky. Um, oh <laughs> swing, swing. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the other thing I, I found out was was that he usually plays with a coin instead of a pick. Hmm. So he uses um, he said like a sixpence. I, I guess that's, that's some English coin. Yeah. <laughs> I, he said he has it gives him more control or something. I, I've tried playing with like a dime or a penny before. Yeah, it's, it's more scrapey. You know, yeah. on, on the, it's just for on the, the metallic strings. like interference, and and now I think I kind of hear it. Anyway, I I really enjoyed this album. You know, like dude, I hadn't really delved into it um, before. I had actually never heard Bohemian Rhapsody until it was made famous by Wayne's World, um, <laughs> and that was also around the time it was just after uh, Freddie Mercury had died, and yeah. they did a concert for him and stuff. So Queen was very much like in the you know in in the the public the zeitgeist. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, you know, it was uh, an exciting time to you know to get introduced to, to Queen, and you know I like some of those weirder songs like Seaside Rendezvous and yep. the Prophet song. There's some mm-hmm. like some goofy some goofy uh, vocal stuff uh, going on. So yeah, just an innovative and, and interesting album. So uh, Donnie Likey. <laughs> yeah, I'm in love with my car. Also, that oh, yeah. one was sung by Taylor, and uh, so it was, it's cool. That, you know, although Freddie was known for his vocals. They all still got to share, you know, kind of a little beatily in that way. Yeah, that I'm in love with my car. Sounds like the Who. Yeah, sounds like it da- does. Daughtry. It does. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think Bohemian Rhapsody. That song kind of encapsulates all the things that all the other songs on this album do. You know, it's kind of like a, it's like a Cliff's Notes of what this record is. Yeah. No, it really does. Yeah. Like I said, I, I really came to appreciate the the details, the attitude, and just the presentation of this band. The way they wanted to present themselves mm-hmm. uh record companies be damned yeah. <laughs> so right. i am going to uh nominate this for the album nerds hall of fame now although i prefer the harder rock side of queen you know the albums i i lean towards are like sheer heart attack and and the uh debut album self-titled but in really getting down and dirty with this record i think it really like i said earlier it says who this band is and explores all the parts of them that they more lightly peppered into their other releases so i think this sums up who they were as a band and uh, at their creative height so i think this this is a 
good representation of, of uh, the greatness of, of these guys. Thoughts? Hmm. Well, I mean, it's not an A-plus album for me, but I do think it's probably the Queen record I would go back to most regularly, and I agree it represents like their cornucopia of sounds best. So yeah, I, I think I'm on the same page with you on this one. I, I would say yes. God save the queen. Yes. All right. I think we would have gotten some negative feedback from listeners <laughs> if either of you guys had said no. All right. So that was Queen, A Night at the Opera. If you haven't dug into its depths, I implore you to do so. It, it, it took a, a few plays, but I was hooked after. I like the deaky. I bet you do. <laughs> I like a dadiki. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, there were there were a lot of options out there, and we we all ended up picking movies from the the '90s. Yeah. Um, but our um, but the the songs were were from all over the place. Uh, what what did we learn? Well, a couple of things come to mind for me. Like I often associate a song or an album with a particular time in my life or an event I was at, or maybe a person sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it also works pretty well for movies. I mean, some of these scenes, like we've talked about, are just like etched together mm-hmm. with those songs that are on the soundtrack. So that that's so cool that our brains work in that way. It's just a, a nice little... Cat, it's a cataloging system. That <laughs> yeah, I guess it does. Uh, but it's a fun one we can take advantage of. The other thing I'll mention too, I think is, is great, especially in the case of like Queen here, and I suppose the other bands too, you know, kind of bringing these bands back into the zeitgeist, you know, once they've kind of maybe stepped away or, you know, we, maybe a song didn't land quite as big as it could have at the time it was released. Giving it a second chance or, you know, maybe pulling it back into the spotlight, you know, is, is it cool. Or that first chance. Yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate that too, of the power, the power of movies. I'll have what he's having because uh, those were the two potential <laughs> oh, points sorry, I had uh, written down. Zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one that had it written down. In some part. Uh, besides, the, besides those those great points, the the because that combination of of memory, movie, and music is pretty cool. But also just the phenomenon of of soundtracks, movie soundtracks, sometimes being their own record. And we didn't get into that here, but um, like separating those two was something that I think was good for me when we were doing this. Was kind of splitting those into two different categories. Um, so yeah, good times. I suspect we're probably all the the same because we're. I think we're probably auditory people. The, the you know the the three of us. Um, but I, but uh, but I know you know when I watch a film, you know the the music, you know whether it's the score or the songs, just you know are always just a big impactful you know part for for me. You know it's it's what I tend to remember, and I'm not sure that that's true for everybody. But I you know I think a lot of times I'm more likely to remember how a song was used. Yeah, have you guys ever seen the the perks of being a wallflower? Like no. the only thing I really remember from that film is is them listening to David Bowie Heroes <laughs> as they're like driving mm-hmm. through a through a tunnel. Um, you know you mentioned Easy Rider, Born to Be Wild. Like that's what I remember. I just remember them on motorcycles right. to to Born to Be Wild, and so that's that's what always sticks with me is the uh, is the songs. And that's one to grow. On. I mean, your destiny. All right, boys and girls, it's that time once again. Gather around. We'll uh, see what the Wheel of Musical Destiny has in store for us next week. Your musical destiny will be taking you back down south. You will be exploring the top 25 country albums from the 2010s as chosen by the Billboard magazine staff. 
Crack open a few cold ones and get listening. Billboard's best country albums of the 2010s. So uh, Billboard staff put together a list of 25 and we're each going to pick one. So we might have to get into some unfamiliar or uncomfortable pop country territory, gentlemen. Oh, wow. Great. I'm ready. I don't have any ongoing Album Nerds Hall of Fame voting, but you can submit ideas for the Wheel of Musical Destiny up on our website, albumnerds.com. Right, what's your favorite country album from the 20 teens? What's your favorite song from a movie? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Album Nerds. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you once again for joining us on the Album Nerds podcast. We'll catch you in them, them there 2010s, y'all. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you next week. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. (laughs) Pretty good. We haven't had a chance to do the Bob Dylan voice in a while. (laughs) 